Well, welcome everybody to this week's edition of the Art Business Podcast. And my guests today, I met them for the first time uh, a few weeks ago when we, we took our, our students to Edinburgh first and then Glasgow. It was serendipity really, because it was partly because we can't go into Europe at the moment. We were we would normally go to Amsterdam and Maastricht to the European Fine Art Fair. We weren't able to do that because, as you probably know, it's been postponed to June, uh, the European Fine Art Fair. So uh, we had this week spare, as it were, and we thought, well, let's go somewhere different in the UK. And so we went to Edinburgh and then we went to Glasgow and we went to various um, art places in Glasgow, all of them amazing. Um, but in many ways, the one that most interested me is the, is the, the one that we're going to talk about today. So it's um, just like to introduce you to, we've got two people today speaking with us, and that is, um, they, you might want to unmute at this point, Arga and Nell, <laughs> so, otherwise they'll think, where are they? Um, so, so thank you very much, um, Arga and Nell, for uh, being my guests today. And we're going Hi, to talk about, <laughs> yeah, and we're going to talk about, um, a gallery that which is which is named after its address, 16 Nicholson Street. 16 Nicholson Street. Right. So, <laughs> so we're, we're going to start um, in the in the usual way. And I, I thought I'd ask Arga and Nell, um, you know, they might, I don't know if they're overlap with one another or bounce ideas off one another, but I was going to ask them what their favourite city was, but I kind of primed them uh, to maybe talk at least about Glasgow, and then they might want to throw in another city they, they like. Um, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners won't have been to Glasgow, so maybe you could talk about how you got to know Glasgow and why you think it's an exciting city. <laughs> I don't know who you, which of you wants to start. <laughs> oh me! <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right, I could see I could see Nell pointing at me. So, <laughs> um, uh, well, um, maybe yeah, maybe maybe I yeah, I think it's a good idea to say that I uh, come from Poland. So yes. this is um, not my like, native country. Um, and it's also not my first um, foreign country that I live in. Um, I mean, foreign from my perspective. And um, so I moved to Glasgow from Copenhagen. So that's kind of my point of reference. Um, I really, enjoyed a DIY scene in Glasgow. I studied art scene, arts, I studied arts here and I feel like the art scene is very welcoming. I feel like I've, um, I've had quite an easy time building up those connections and um, finding a studio space and networking. And um, I was, I guess, quite lucky in some ways to, to have met Nell and Isabella, who I work with at the gallery. And um, that has that has grown arms and legs uh, uh, for the last uh, four years. Uh, we've been working together, and I feel because we've started out without a specific business plan, and we just kind of developed it as we went along. I I think that opportunity that was just something that we could only have done here, or like. Maybe not only, but it's a city. The city definitely allowed that kind of model of coming in and just being ready to like try do a trial and error kind of uh, process. Um, so I think I love that about Glasgow that 
it's still quite open to to, to new initiatives I think. that's interesting and um, um maybe you could maybe one of you could uh tell the listeners about where this gallery is i i it was the, my first time in glasgow i'm ashamed to say um but um we were staying up um on the other side of the river uh there there's the uh, it's the river clyde <laughs> i'm right yeah thank god for that um so i remember <clears throat> i remember coming down through what appeared to be the the kind of busier part the more developed part of the city dare i say it coming across a bridge and then realizing there's all these kind of what appear to be 18th early 19th century houses often quite handsome on the other side of the bridge so maybe you mm. could one of you could talk about that area and what's happened to it since those houses were built in terms of you know social sociology and 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 how you came to kind of move into the, the gallery space yeah it's a kind of a funny area um it's called Lauriston, our local area but it is just south of the Clyde and it does have this very sort of beautiful uh, riverfront houses, but they are empty, really, a lot of them, um, which is a sign of kind of the rest of the area. It was quite industrial and then got left behind after there was a lot of kind of shipbuilding and activity along the river. And then the kind of villages and towns that were surrounding Glasgow that now kind of are part of the hugest, much bigger city than it used to be, kind of begun below that. So it's a kind of a weird stretch of town where there's not, uh, for a long time, there hasn't been a lot happening. Um, it's kind of the, the conjoined conjunction between the city centre and the south side, but that's all changing and there are a lot of spaces opening up now around us, which is really, really lovely. We've got like, literally in walking distance, we've got about three or four other galleries now, which is really, really great that we've kind of built a bit of a community around, um, especially when we have things like the Glasgow International Festival. Um, there's a, an official program, but there's also lots of kind of DIY fringe programs. So that's sort of part of what Aga was talking about with this kind of, yeah, is a very do-it-yourself sort of attitude to making art, having exhibitions and kind of, forming friendships around those that really helps working collaboratively in Glasgow which is really really nice um, and that's kind of evident in how all the galleries kind of bolster each other there doesn't really feel like a lot of competition there's a lot of working together and a lot of collaboration which is really really nice um, yeah and, and would um I think if we had a similar model say in London we'd be thinking out you know it used to the early millennium it used to be Hotston and Shoreditch that then became gentrified as often happens as places get more filled with uh you know emerging artists and dealers and art dealers and galleries um so they kind of moved out to Hackney Fields to a certain extent and other parts of London but would you say is, is the area that you're in um to the south of the the, the river is is it also an area where you might find some artists, some of your artists living around there, or do they not tend, it's not a community in that sense. It isn't really, I mean, it is really part of the city centre and mm. people, there are a lot of the artist communities, they live a lot further out. So there's kind of a good sure. base in the East End and in the South Side, um, you know, gathering around studios, around cheap rent, around things that are kind mm. of classic for where these sort of, communities spring up but I think 
you know, Glasgow is really quite small in a way that, you know, if you live in the south side, even though the gallery wouldn't be in your neighbourhood, it's only a 15 minute walk, really. Okay, yeah. And Nell, um, uh, we, we, we heard from Arga that she originally came from Poland and came, I think, via Denmark, Copenhagen, across to Glasgow and found it very welcoming. Um, could you say a little bit about your background? Mm, yeah, I am obviously not from Glasgow, as you can tell from my <laughs> accent, <laughs> um, but I have lived here for 10 years now. So I moved here for university uh, from Dorset, um, mm. a very green 18 year old um, who <laughs> was <laughs> just trying to get far away from Dorset and like the yeah. little small town feel. Um, yeah. that I had growing up so I just wanted to move to a big city and I had one friend in Glasgow who was at, studying at the School of Art um, and I went to Glasgow Uni so I kind of didn't really have I didn't come into the gallery with a very with a fine art background at all um, it was more from a writing um, and creative writing background so I did English literature and then museum studies at Glasgow Uni um, and it's a really great place to be. So many of my friends who started out as students here have stayed here, which makes it a really, really livable city because you can build, you can start building a life from kind of the time that you move here. I feel like a lot of university cities in the UK, people go for uni and then move away, um, mm -hmm. following where there's work um, and or whether easier places to live and it's nice to not have that feeling that kind of exodus after the end of uni um, and so I had that community already really and then I joined the gallery also kind of just through an open call and that was great because it meant that I've I suddenly had this whole new kind of scene that I wasn't part of at all and it was like a new discovery of a completely different Glasgow that I hadn't really explored before and that was really exciting so it's a city where you can kind of just there are lots of different things happening in layers on top of each other I feel and you can kind of tap into different communities and it's great. It's it's that quite surprised me in some ways um, you know we all have we all have these images in our mind of cities before we go to them I, I remember being quite shocked when I got to New York because I had this <laughs> you, you have this kind of movie image of, of, of Manhattan and so on. And it, it, there are things that are similar to that, but when you get there, they're different. The same with Glasgow, I think. But it, do, it does sound from what both you and Agra are saying that it's, it seems to be a place where, um, where you, can, you, you can come into as an outsider and, and feel welcome and comfortable. And not just that, there's, is there something exciting about the atmosphere uh, that there? That, that, is it a tangible thing that you can describe or? <laughs> um. Um, I, w I think it's worth mentioning okay. that, um, I mean, I really wish that Isabella was here with us because um, we're just, um, uh, we're kind of a part of this trio. It's me now yeah. and Isabella. We, we run the gallery together and Isabella mm. has been born and raised in Glasgow. Yeah. Uh, and um, as far as I know, has no plans of moving away. We often joke about this, that just, it, we like, look at all the people who, because there are a lot of people who move. It's not, it's not just all like um, 
loyalty here. I would so, say so Isabella is the she's the anchor person, as it were, who is from Glasgow. And uh, I don't think I, I didn't meet her when I came up, did I? I think it was uh, um, you two. Isabella's on compassionate leave at the moment, okay. so okay. that's why she yeah. couldn't be with us. Um, um, but did she found was she kind of key in founding the gallery, or was it yes. the three of you? Yes, yeah. Isabella has um, started the gallery in 2016 um, yeah. as an unincorporated uh, association, um, yeah. and that functioned until 2020 when we. Oh, we actually joined in 2019. Sorry, we yes. we joined in 2019 as a part of an open call for a committee, and then eventually in 2020, me, Nell, and Isabella have uh, established a community interest company. So the whole model has changed since. Um, sure. So yeah, in a sense, it existed from 2016, but the models have been changing mm -hmm. uh, and there's there's a few terms there that maybe you could just explain a little to the listeners so did you you referred first in 2016 that Isabella set the gallery up as an unincorporated model what could you explain what mm -hmm. that is <laughs> well, I mean if you don't know it doesn't matter but I I would think say... it's hmm. go ahead okay <laughs> I just I think it's basically just that um you she was operating it's a it's a company but it's not limited or incorporated so you're not signed up to any sort of official body um yes so I, essentially kind of as a sole trader really the company. it's like a sole trader and then mm -hmm. and then it then you said something about the 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 open call through committee was it well for a, com for a committee so for, oh, yeah. sorry Wait. sorry we Through joined a, committee. a, big, yeah, a bigger yeah, committee yeah. of seven yeah. and then gradually yeah. it kind of just filtered down to the three of us who had kind of stuck by it because at this point I mean and, and we should say from 2016 it was completely voluntary work that the directors or directors at Isabella at that stage would, was doing so um, it was a very very different model and, and in a sense that's kind of partly why it whittled down to the three of us and then the the working relationship just I mean it, three people is perfect and it and besides we work so well together that we just kind of decided let's stick stick with it like this and try and be a bit more official <laughs> we sure. did have a we did have a fourth one and this is a shout out to Eve because she did uh, move to London <laughs> <laughs> I so will Eve, um for the sake of the listeners, I'll I'll make sure I get all the spelling right of all your names and surnames because at the moment I uh, you know I only know Isabella and uh, um, so so I'll put those in the in the description sort of later on. Um, but but I guess what you're saying is that you you didn't create it you didn't create it as a kind of company like as a as a public limited company or anything like that. It's a, it's kind of um, it, it's just a sole trader as you say. Um, but then how does that, I don't know whether it works similarly in say England or Scotland, I think there are some differences in terms of that, but I think, I think you had to find charitable status as I, as yeah, I recall. So we are, we are now incorporated, actually yeah. the pandemic kind of gave us uh, quite a much needed break to actually yes. sit down and do and quite work a it lot out. of 
yeah like a lot of admin like what are we actually doing here <laughs> um <laughs> rather than just trying to i mean be on the constant back foot because we were constantly programming and that was our focus obviously that's yeah. really important to us but we didn't ever have the time to sit down and go how do we become um you know officially a business yeah. in and a we sense, didn't even think about we, it in a sense how do we protect that space and from from disintegrating like a lot of other spaces did um i feel like we've we've in this emerged we've emerged from a need to 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 make a space make a platform like this and we've we came to it because we wanted to organize uh, events we wanted to organize uh, exhibitions we wanted to create a, a meeting point for all these things to 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 happen and um and we didn't have time to stop like Nell said to stop and think oh how how does this work? How beyond beyond the basic organization? How do we not um, exhaust ourselves? What do we need to do to be to 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 reach different sources of support? And yeah, that's for the answer for what for us was incorporation and um, yeah, just just uh, joining the joining the system. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. But we so, became um... a a CIC, which is a slightly different thing from a charity. So we yes. don't have charitable status, but we are a community interest company, which is mm. quite a, a, it works really well for us because it straddles uh, the boundary between being a charity and, uh, and a straight up for-profit organization. So we can make profit as a business, but we aren't allowed to take that profit for ourselves everything that we, all the profit that we make as a business is returned to our community stakeholders. And you have to set out who those people are when you are incorporated. And then every year, again, you have to uh, kind of re-qualify what community it is that you're trying to support. And that's all public knowledge. So like a charity, people can look up um, how much income we have, what our, what our activities have been over the year and how we've been responsible to those stakeholders, which we see as the community of emerging artists that we, we support through our programming, um, but also the local community, particularly around where we stay in the South side, there are a lot of very diverse communities, a lot of new Scots, so immigrants, migrants, um, refugees, asylum seekers. Um, and it's a very, very, very exciting area to live in. Um, but there are a lot of, there aren't a lot of arts programs or services for people who like, who live in the area. So that's kind of also the other branch of what we're doing, as well as the kind of contemporary arts program. We have a community arts program and they, they're very much kind of central to how we, operate now that we are a CIC which is actually really great for us because that's something that we pri we prioritize all three of us personally so it's it, it was good to have to think about for sure it's a really interesting model isn't it because in it's I guess it's a kind of hybrid model between uh, you know if you were a company with charitable status then any money you make as you say would would, would go back into the company and in inverted commas whereas with with your model, it sounds as though um, you can you can make money, but that's going into a 
broader range of stakeholders than than the traditional charitable company would be and and presumably you have to you have to choose you have to select who those stakeholders are and 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 submit that to who do you submit it to the government the company's you know, house companies so company's this is a company's house. House. Yeah. yeah exactly and then yeah. and then people like myself can look up your annual reports and it's all transparent um we exactly. can see that the money but yeah. but it's also a really brilliant way of of taking people who've got a little bit of entrepreneurial nature in them don't just want kind of like public money thrown at them if you like so that so you're mm -hmm. kind of almost like making money but you're then putting it back into the community and uh that has really positive effects as you say on particularly on your local community a lot of whom are as you say new scots <laughs> that's a lovely phrase <laughs> Um, people great, who aren't it? from Scotland, but they're they've been welcomed in, and they're the new Scots, and they're uh, they're they're from diverse backgrounds. Well, so it's a really interesting model. Yeah, and it's also, I think, like having something like that was really important to us because although it's a lot of, I guess, you know, pa paperwork, and it is mm. a responsibility, um, and in a way, it's another person that we or another kind of group of people that we're we are in a sense beholden to that's something yeah. that we want to that's something that we chose um and it's something that helps to guide us constantly to have those kind of aims written down very clearly for everyone yeah. to see but for also for us to always come back to that's really great um but yeah i mean it adds to the kind of list of people because we're in receipt of a lot of government funding so we get support from creative scotland mostly for our program mm -hmm. um we're obviously responsible to them because we um we get funding from them so yeah. i think having a cic also and kind of having this sort of part of the business where we can make profit was really important for us because we're trying to move also to create an arm of the gallery that is self-sufficient for many yes. reasons um and that's been helpful for that as well and i guess i guess i guess being having a chair having like almost like a quasi charitable status as well as being listed as company's house that enables you am i right in saying to apply for funding from things like creative scotland you wouldn't be able to do that otherwise if you were we, we would, if you were a straight yeah. commercial gallery you wouldn't obviously be able to apply for funding not not entirely. I think, I mean, as a street commercial gallery, you're right, but uh, mm. there are funding uh, streams or like Creative Scotland has its own program for individuals, uh, which mm. is how the gallery has applied up and uh, yeah, Isabella has been applying to Creative Scotland as an individual up until 2000, uh, 2020 when we've uh, changed the program, but the change also came with uh, long term planning. So we basically, by doing that, we decided we don't just want to run a few projects and satisfy ourselves. We actually see this as like a long-term investment and, and in a sense, a dream to realize this. Um, and uh, yeah. talking about the dream, Arga, um, what, what would you say is the main, the, the main mission of, of 16 Nicholson Street? Did, and did that... To what extent did that come from Isabella's first vision, or to what extent has it grown during the pandemic amongst you? And you know what? How did that develop? And do you have a mission? Do you have a particular mission? 
Would you say there's some key things that you are aiming for with your gallery? What makes it different from other galleries, I guess I'm asking? Um, uh, thanks for this question. I think this <laughs> is a, I mean, I, I am actually really happy you've asked that because um, this is the most exciting part of working with Nelly and Isabella because we have meetings weekly and um, oftentimes there are um, just kind of these basic daily tasks that we need to kind of organize and, and uh, strategize uh, among ourselves. And, um, and they come with, with making a lot of ideological decisions like, oh, so how, who do we want to be as a company? Who do we want to be as, as, as a gallery? Who do we want to be as curators? And these are constantly questions we have to ask ourselves because as, as Nell said, we're, we're beholden to the community and we have made those commitments. And we also are in a sense responsible to the funders. So not only do, do we have our own goals and dreams, we also are kind of forced to write them down <laughs> once every month at least and like go over them together and that's why it's been shaping over a really really long time and I think there is a lot to say here but like in the most basic sense the the dream is to create the um create the space for art that serves the society rather than the other way around mm -hmm. and um also to create, in a sense, a, a different um, a capital ecosystem for 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 the yeah for arts for artists, different pathways that are more clear to succeed within the arts, um, not necessarily through the commercial model, but through a more balanced community model. Um, so we are constantly looking for input. And we're constantly responding to some kinds of needs or 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 uh, situations that arise in the community around us. Uh, so when there was pandemic, a lot of students didn't have um, didn't have degree shows, didn't have like ways of of being platformed. We tried to fill that gap because that was a really necessary thing at the time, and. Um, um, we are trying to respond to different uh, current events. We we just had a charity charity auction, which is the first time we've uh, ever organized something like this, and that has brought a lot of people together and created this space where I think people now feel safe in expressing um, in in just expressing what they need from us and kind of joining the dialogue, um, and that's. That's kind. That's that's what we want to do. We want to keep responding. We want to keep um, shaping. <laughs> yeah, that's mm. interesting because the like the galleries that I've spoken with and the artists, indeed, so far on this podcast, still quite new, um, would would be from that model where, where you're saying that your primary aim is to is for art to serve the community, not not you know, uh, I I'm probably most of the the artists I've worked with so far on the podcast and the dealers are um you know mainly they're they're the dealer is there to 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 promote the art 
of the artist and um, to sell usually to private collectors. So these works aren't going into the community or into say a public museum uh, where they'd be seen in a very different way. They're going to private collectors. It's that kind of model. And I think the hope is that um, eventually some of those artists will, will end up in MoMA, Pompidou, <laughs> Tate, uh, you tell me the equivalents in Glasgow, <laughs> we've got the Contemporary Art Museum and so on, but do you see what I mean? It's kind of round the yeah. other way, really. Whereas is, is, it, is that fair to say that your gallery is I kind of, your artists and your community are wanting to create art for the art for the community? I think that's really interesting the way you said that, because it's kind of like, there's the same end goal almost, that there's the mm. same destination, but that they're yep. maybe filtered through different systems or different or guided by different uh definitions of success so i think when we're thinking about what looks successful to us or what feels successful to the artists we work with that's something that's very that we're constantly revising and constantly responding to but i do think that what people that we've worked with are generally interested in is to bring in a community to respond to their artwork and and in a sense that's a lot of the work that we show it becomes of that nature so maybe it's a show which is an, an installation or very site specific that has worked with members of the community or responds to something that is very resonant to a particular audience maybe within our community in Glasgow. So it feels like it, that sort of art is never going to be successful in the sense of commercially viable. It, you can't, it's not something you can quantify or sell. Mm. Um, although, you know, we do, we do show a lot of photography, prints, painting, but it, the exhibitions that we curate are very, they're kind of are very much of a moment and they only really have they exist for the exhibition and their works respond to each other and it's not something that you can kind of unpack take away separate from the space or separate from the other artworks exactly I think it's just basically a change of approach because that ethos um that we have uh impacts the the way the artwork looks in the end because the way we work with the artists is through in a sense experimentation so it's 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 almost like a lab every time we have an exhibition we have months of preparation and months of development together we've uh, we work on these projects um with the artists um and this way we we allow this kind of um yeah, different kinds of rootedness. It's 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 really rooted mm. in that area. It's rooted in that community, and I think that's what we want to see in the big galleries. We don't just want that to go back to the community. Obviously, we do want that, and we, it, this is already happening. But we want to see more of that everywhere else. Yeah. yeah so the, it's also fostering that as a model that works on a bigger scale and that like to show that as, as a successful and a viable option, even though it's not necessarily commercial, 
that's something that could be replicated and could do well in other bigger galleries. And that's in a sense we, you know, working with emerging artists or like early career artists, there's always a sense that it's almost like you are feeding up to these larger institutions and what you do actually is really important work in sowing those seeds in those discussions with artists about like what is going to be important to them in their career going forward. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess. In some, in some ways, it. it's, yeah. it's a really interesting thing to think about this because in some ways it's to do with the nature of art and different types of art really because i guess coming back to what i the kind of art that i was talking about is 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 much more readily commodifiable you know it's oils on canvases um sometimes sculptures um prints made multiple prints signed and limited editions made from it um uh, and one isn't saying that the art isn't art because I, I believe it is. And, you know, I've, I've written introductions to these exhibitions where I think these artists are really now artists and they're really working in the same way as, as, as you said, to the same ends that your artists were. But I think almost like the visual metaphor, maybe the, the, the listeners probably didn't go, you, most of you won't have been to the shows unless you're the students who were there. Uh, but if what was different about going into your gallery was it was really it was immersive <laughs> so you go in the room and the art is everywhere around you have to step in and out of it and it's and you're not thinking to yourself oh i'd like to buy that or i could have that in my home <laughs> um so, so you know and and in general obviously that kind of art is the kind of art that would normally be supported not by collectors willing to pay lots of money to hang this in their own homes but by um like public organizations like um uh, the Arts Council, which is now, I, I keep forgetting their new name, Arts Council England, or, yes, you know, which so. is the same, we... as <laughs> the same as Creative Scotland. So, you know, normally that kind of art that you're showing, we you wouldn't expect to see in, in a gallery that was also for profit. So that, again, mm. is what makes your model interesting, because it's kind of doing both. It's actually realising that you're in the real world in the sense that these artists need to make a living and you need to make a living in the end. And, you know, hopefully expand and become... Uh, you know, um, their art will become more and more exposed and perhaps eventually nationally and then internationally. So they're on the same career trajectory as those other more overtly commercial artists. But in the end, they might end up in the same place, just having gone there in different directions. But as I say, what struck me about, I think it was the Needs and Freedoms exhibition that was the title you gave it. And, um, and it, it was much more like being in a kind of like an arts council supported uh, exhibition where, where the artists you didn't feel as though the artists been constrained in any way by commerciality of any kind <laughs> if that makes yeah, sense i wouldn't even know how to constrain them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's um, really interesting that you said about like you know constraints because i think like what we've realized in a in a roundabout way is that the the way for us to avoid those constraints as much as we can is not necessarily to be reliant on public funding which is really really great and as you say it does often platform this kind of work that is maybe less commercial and that's kind of how that is able to be seen by the public but it, it, it is also a very flawed system 
um, it's it's very sporadic. It's very unreliable at times. We've been very, very lucky to have been supported for as long as we have. Um, and I think we've done well to do that. Um, but I think there's also an element where we are trying to build up the for-profit side of the business, which is actually about moving further away from the constraints of a system that is sometimes unreliable to be able to be to fill in those gaps from our own personal income or own the business income that we've made independently is really a great way for us to be able to be a more solid and a more reliable space for the artists that we're trying to platform so in a sense we're trying to dabble in the best we're trying to pick and choose what we like from every model and and that's i think something that we're only able to achieve because of the way we are you know such a small organization um we can pivot and we do have these meetings where we'll just say you know why don't we try opening a darkroom on the top floor let's just do it and we just sort of can, and that's really, really great. So that's kind of, I guess, do you want to maybe talk a bit more about that, that I guess? Sure. Um, I think this is also a part hey, of- before, before Arga continues on that line, I'm just, I'm just thinking what the listeners might be thinking. They're probably thinking how, when you're talking about being partly for profit, where is that profit coming from? And maybe you could, you know, is that coming from selling the art as would normally be the model? Uh, but also what are your overheads? I mean, is it an expensive place? Have you partly chosen 16 Nicholson Street because it's it's the rents aren't expensive like they would be in London, for example, you know, how does that all work in terms of balancing? Where is the money coming in from and what is going out? <laughs> and then and then, and then Arka can continue that line. Well, I our sales are um, mostly, yeah. We we also pub we publish publications with each mm -hmm. um, with each exhibition, mm -hmm. and these public these publications are selling. However, they're definitely not the main source of income. Um, you by publications you mean like a traditional catalogue about the artist's philosophy and work, you know, curatorial essays. Is it that sort of thing? It is a it is a kind of variation on that. It's mm. um, more of a we started off. It's they started off as catalogues, but because we are this kind of lab, <laughs> and uh, and we we value collaborative work, and also both Isabella and and Nell have a background in literature. Uh, and I have background in, in photography and publication making connected to that. Uh, we've uh, really enjoyed creating experimental publications together where they are made in tandem with the exhibition, but the, the last, I would say, six or five exhibitions had uh, books with them that were artworks in their own right i understand and, um, so kind of almost like a yeah. book of poetry like a work of art in itself the publication 
and, yeah, and, it would be feature yeah. artwork, essays, poetry, different oh, sure. depending on the project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but not a traditional catalogue. It's 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 meant to not again anymore. be part of this kind of organic dynamics that comes out of the collaboration between you and the artists. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it became a really exciting thing we do because uh, I could see you, you have a question about this later on, but so I'm just briefly gonna state <laughs> that we split up our roles in in terms of curation. I was gonna ask you about I was gonna ask you about mm. what your do you have such a thing as job titles or is it not that formal? <laughs> um it is um loosely formal. Um we've um we need a publication editor because the publications have grown arms and legs and therefore there needs to be a responsible per person who's responsible for the publication coming together. And that would be the publication editor. And, um, and there is the lead curator usually. Um, so the, yeah, self-explanatory. And mm -hmm. there would be um, satellite events coordinator slash curator. So it's kind of a, a person who's organizing the extra events and perhaps becomes like an assistant curator as well. And do you um, take and it into... are, yeah, so these roles rotate and I see. that's part yeah. of our that's part of our planning at the beginning of each funding period really that we divide those roles equally. Um, and mm -hmm. so it kind of evolves organically because we'll each have projects that from the, from the beginning we've kind of really you know, gotten interested in and wanted and started already thinking about and and naturally there are different projects that suit different one different each of us very well. So it works out that we just divide it like that really. Um so yeah, mm -hmm. it's 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 a flexible role really because we just share we job share really in a sense yeah. and we move and it's, around you rotate those roles and you say look i'm going to do i i'd be really interested this time in being yeah. the publisher person and so on and or the curatorial person and how Definitely. how do you get how do you get to find the artists is another obvious question i think listeners might have how how do you source your artists is it just organic <laughs> or do you go to art colleges and you know we uh, all of yeah, a very mixed, a very mixed yeah. uh, approach. We usually do put out an open call, um, so oh, right. a lot of the a lot of the exhibitions that we end up showing started out in some form as a proposal um, that the artists have sent us themselves, which we kind of ask for a, a a proposal about an exhibition. So it isn't just a portfolio. We want to know what the idea is from the get-go what's the research process going to look like roughly i mean this is all something that we want to be involved in from a very early stage but we want to see evidence that someone has an idea that is going to translate into an exhibition that we would be interested in showing and evidence of practice as well obviously yes, we want yeah. to see previous projects but we don't usually show work that's been made before or unless unless there is scope for uh, developing it into like a new new version. And, and mm -hmm. do, do these artists, in terms of your kind of business model, if you like, your legal entity model, do they have to be from the community? And what do we, how do you define community? We define it as emerging artists and that yeah. is a really broad statement. So that they don't have to be from Glasgow even, they could be from anywhere. No. 
We're working with quite a lot of international yeah. artists. Which is a part of our mission statement as well. We want sure. to connect the local with the international artists. And So by um, community, you mean the local consumers, if to use that awful word, but the people who are coming to the gallery to experience the art are the community yeah, that you're serving. Yeah, yeah, as well as the artists themselves, but it is mm. enriching that community, like working with artists who are international and bringing their art to the gallery space is something that is serving the local community as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's fostering those international connections. I think at the moment, that's something that we're really, really, interested in doing particularly after covid um it's kind of finding a sense of opening up the world a bit more <laughs> Definitely. which is really really nice do you do you ever sorry i i, I might be taking you off we'll come back to the, the you know what we were on on what we were talking about but do you on that level do you find any do you do you ever find any issues with I'm just thinking of, an, of another example in Amsterdam, um, in Street Art Museum Amsterdam, I don't know if you know it, but that that is deliberately placed and partly publicly funded because it's seen as being a community good um, for a, a, in, a, in, a, in a poor, mainly immigrant area of outside of Amsterdam, the centre of Amsterdam. And they have had issues with the fact that the local people don't necessarily want the street, the kind of street art, which may not speak to their own communities and socio-religious backgrounds and so on do you has that ever become an issue for you yeah yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's it's always going to be an issue and like yeah. the only way that you avoid in a being... sense it's material we work with we mm. want to incorporate the local community and I feel like yeah your question about who is the community is a good one because I think we use that as a as a name for different different kinds of communities so I mean the community of people who live in in this area in the area where the gallery is located um, we want to bring them with us we want to but in order to do that um, we need to create a space that is reliable for them that is accessible for them that is um speaking their language metaphorically and um yeah literally as well um so we have had situations where we have um that resistance yeah met with resistance mm -hmm. we've been mis we've been ill-advised and then ended up in a problematic situation that we didn't know enough about up front and like it's it's a lot of a lot of different it's a lot of different territorial feuds and i guess they are in every city you, you yeah you try and make something no i mean so. it i guess i was expecting mm. that answer but it's mm -hmm. in it's an interesting it, because it's a new dynamic i think in our new world and our new art world is mm -hmm. when you are we're, we're trying to you know, we like globalism, obviously, and we've seen the people that we kind of politicians we really don't like are the anti-globalists. Uh, and I, I remember in the new millennium is that, that one of the great things about the new millennium was globalization. And um, obviously it had its bad aspects, you know, increasing capitalism and, and, and exploitation potentially, but it also had a lot of good aspects, this notion that, you know, we were going to break down a lot of cultural boundaries, etc. And then it kind of a break was put on it by people like Trump and Brexit and so on, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, 
but but it, it it has its own issues obviously because people people don't want to be patronized you know the local community yeah. were and and yeah. uh, and you you bump into that kind of issue yeah but that's interesting i think that's like a really really good way of putting it it's like i mean there are certain situations that have been just have been a conflict that maybe we we couldn't resolve but a lot of the time it is exactly that it's like people don't want to be patronized people don't want to be spoken for mm. um and the only way to really do that and not to be seen as the degentrifier is to have have to be in communication with the people yeah. that you are supposedly serving um yeah. and, and then, if you yeah. don't do that then you are being patronizing and it's in a sense, fair enough <laughs> this exactly what you're saying this is about letting go of um of that kind of fixed idea of a model because in order to not patronize anyone you need to you need to come in a bit vulnerable say okay what would what would be what's yeah. what's your thing <laughs> how would that work and and therefore we couldn't possibly come in with a business plan it we need we need to sit there and listen basically as well yeah, as I mean, have our yeah dreams as well <laughs> I, I remember it i mean in amsterdam one of the issues they were having is that you know they they really wanted to bring the the local women in and 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 that the, the, it's quite kind of often quite patriarchal more patriarchal rather societies that you're dealing with and that can be quite difficult because you know the men tend to distrust what this is all about they don't really want their women to kind of come and even socialize together but certainly not talk about art and and they've kind of gradually overcome those things and but they they were saying the problem is yes you do have to communicate but sometimes people just don't want to come and communicate and say talk about art and talk about art projects yeah but I think that's a really good example though because it's like okay yes obviously sometimes you do come into conflict where um you know in in that scenario you you would hopefully argue that obviously these women do have the right to access that those conversations and those facilities and actually the, what the gallery was doing was providing a space for that which is responding to their needs so I think it's like maybe you create you're never going to please everyone um especially when you're moving into a new community or you're doing something that's unusual for the people surrounding you but then if they're if they're consulting the women who are coming to those activities and they've been told by them this is something that we want this is something that we don't have access to um to art to discussion around art then in a sense, you are serving that community. Do you know what I mean? It's like you, you kind of yeah. need to pick your battles and identify who you are yeah. looking out for and who you're providing a service for yeah. and consult them and kind of maybe forget sometimes about the rest of the noise. And usually, usually <laughs> what they found is you, usually you and you've had this experience, I'm sure. Usually, you will find that there are there are always some there are always a, some people at least who are yeah. really interested in art anyway and they're really interested in the dialogue and you only need mm -hmm. a few and then they take it back to the others and what of course what then tended to happen I don't know whether this is the same for your model but what they found was that you know people like me and my students were actually coming out to those areas and we're spending money in the cafes and everything um mm -hmm. bringing bringing a little bit of money into the community as well uh, yeah I think 
I think um, it was interesting you brought up the example about women and the patriarchal kind of um, uh, societies and communities. I we we have worked and we are working with with women and mothers and um, from different kinds of backgrounds and mm -hmm. that's a project Nell's uh, working on but it also became this kind of cause that we've hoped to um, work toward like cause that we hope to like produce more like work towards or more more work to like counteract and and provide a more transparent ways for mothers to enter the art world um and as as we said before we can't serve everyone with every project but we can definitely choose the battles and address them address them and and yes yeah, start by asking questions rather than come with solutions which is maybe very simple but the yeah. the feminist resilience event i think it took place after we visited you, so maybe maybe you and Nell could say something about just as a kind of almost like a, case, a mini case study, like an example of the kind of show you put on. Like, how did that idea start for the, um, and and then how did it develop, and you know who came to it, what were the dialogues, and was it successful, and what do we mean by successful? <laughs> uh, uh, like, what do we mean by successful? Because um, this is going to be slightly a tangent, but a very quick one. We've um, no we've uh, connected with uh, another uh, curator, um, Patricia Fleming. Oh yes, and we we she... we went to Patricia Fleming as well when we just after we visited you. Yeah, we we've uh, we've asked her to supervise or supervise kind of feedback one of our shows, and mm. uh, she kind of solicited herself as um, she offered her her supervision in a sense in a long long term uh way and mm -hmm. um that was that's something we discussed with her what is the definition of success and and how do we succeed and how do we define the terms by which we would find ourselves successful um and i think that's that definitely opened my eyes to to the fact that i don't need to um um yeah i can just decide what those terms are on my on my own um and we can do that together me and Mel and isabel hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah so the the feminist resilience project is uh it's kind of a good example of how we've it's a different kind of project from a lot of the output that we've made before um, and it's maybe quite it's definitely responsive to something that we are all interested in doing um, and it's also responsive to covid and actually post covid the, the busyness of putting on exhibitions um, so it's not it's not an exhibition project it's a research project and um, it has kind of evolved organically through discussions with an artist we worked with before called Natsumi Sakamoto. Um, and it's we're building a network essentially of women uh, and non-binary people who are working in the arts, kind of starting with Glasgow, but we're trying to broaden that reach with, a, with an international outlook. Um, and we're just meeting at the moment to discuss 
what feminist resilience looks like <laughs> to debate that term, to pick it apart um, and think about the kind of what value systems we can create that will help mm -hmm. uh, women and non-binary spaces and artists uh, kind of, yeah, I guess succeed more. Yeah, in a non-profit, not in a not-for-profit not model. So this is all in that perspective. And there is a lot of, there's a lot of not-for-profit not spaces in Glasgow. And there is obviously a lot of artists here as well, because the art school is uh, constantly um, supplying us with more and more graduates. And um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, so I, I think uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but we um, we are trying to bolster each other and we're trying to find alternative economies together. And, and it's kind of like a project about collecting, con starting a conversation and collecting bits of information and creating this, um, yeah, like more cohesive research of or archive of good practice that could potentially uh, be, in a sense, this um, repository or resource for future projects like our own, and um, and uh, yeah, anyone who's interested. When you talk about archives, it seems to me that your, the work of your gallery, in particular, um, requires archives. It's almost like the building a body of knowledge from scratch and. You know, <laughs> so have you got like a physical space that you, or, or would it be a digital space or a bit of both such an archive? We, we want, for this project, we, we want to make a digital archive, but we also mm -hmm. want to, we're also going to create some public facing events from the research. So mm. in a sense, yeah, it's not a, phys it's not a physical archive, but we're going to interact with the research like and present it physically which will be really exciting um hopefully we want to do sort of symposium where we invite people to talk um on topics that we've discussed in the in the meetings but also can invite people who they think would be interesting to be heard whose opinions so this will be recorded as well i think we do have a lot of uh focus on archiving the stuff that we do in terms of our exhibitions, but also in terms of our research. And I think we're only really realizing now that the research is a really important part of it because it is a sort of, every space is different. Everything works differently in this art scene. Um, and so it's kind of actually invaluable to have, if you can't have conversations with everybody, then to have this kind of resource where you can access that to see like, how is everybody else doing it? What's working, not what's not working? Are we all coming across the same barriers? You know, is there a sense that we're all, we're all coming up against the same problems? Like, is there a way we can solve these together even though we're all doing very different things? I think that's kind of that's yeah. the aim of the project. Or, and also the flip side of that, what are the nuances, what are our differences and what we have to be more mindful of that we wouldn't have been if, uh, um, if we didn't you know, have that resource, we didn't have that access to, to someone telling us, yeah, this is important for me. And, and we, we have to honor that as well. We have to honor our differences 
within those needs. Um, so the, femi the feminist resilience as a project, is it the, what the impression I'm getting is that it's quite ongoing and it, it's not, is it art? Would you say it's led by artists or artists are just part of a community of say feminists, if you like, for want of a better word, that are having discussions all the time together and, and the artists are perhaps bringing their own perspective and saying, well, in my practice, I would do this. What mm -hmm. about you? You know, you were, as a, you're, you're, a, you're an art student, you're working in a bar in the evenings. What, you know, what are your issues? Is that what it is? It's like a forum really of debate, which happens to include artists and you as curators and. Yes, yeah. um, so we, <laughs> we use the term equal stakes project. So okay. in that sense, in a sense, we invite um, arts organizers, so curators, facilitators, what have you, and, um, and the artists themselves. So to kind of round table. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's, 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 that's how yes. we want to run it. But uh, yeah. it is, like you said, a long term project. Mm. Um, we've only just started. We're hoping for it to, to take shape um, over the next year. And um, we planned this uh, symposium for November um, or late October, I think. Um, but, uh, but this will be a research that will continue to hopefully just uh, um, inform our practice. And yeah. And would there be traditional art exhibitions associated with the project, for example? We hope we to hope have. So. Perf yeah, yeah. <laughs> we hope to for during the symposium. That's we had so many different names for this event. That was that was a problem, because we 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 hope to present artwork. I mean, a lot of artwork has. Most of the art we, we platform has a wealth of research behind it, and uh, we we like platforming that research hence the publications as well mm. and um not all of them are research uh, on platforming just the research but that doesn't matter um so basically finding a right name for the event where we would like to have talks and share and discussion panel discussions as well as performance events and and maybe film screenings uh this is, uh, and we all want it to be, uh, we want it to be um, broadcast uh, online uh, mm. as well, so that people can access it wherever they are. Um, so finding a name for that was quite a challenge. So we went through conference to sharing event. Now it's a, now it's a symposium and uh, we're trying, we, I guess we're still looking, we're still open for pitches of how to frame that. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm aware, I'm suddenly looking at the time and I'm aware of the time kind of passing. Um, mm -hmm. So, so may, maybe we could, um, maybe we could just finish by, so that is an ongoing project, um, Arga and Nell. And are there any other, what's coming up next in, is there, is there a kind of another more traditional inverted commas mm -hmm. exhibition coming up? You might just want to flag and talk, talk yeah, about. Yeah, so in July, actually kind of, we've almost, touched on it but haven't actually spoken about it but I'm I'm running a project uh, called freedom in abstraction power and creativity and that is a project that I'm doing in collaboration with an artist called Beth Shapiro and an NGO called empower women for change and this is the group of women that we've been working with for a long a long time uh, we've been doing workshops with them basically um, 
around making abstract art and also the kind of mindfulness that comes along with that and the freedom in creativity um, because a lot of these women have never been to a gallery before and certainly have never had their work exhibited so we're basically making a big collaborative piece with them that reflects all of the work we've been doing in workshops throughout the year and there's also going to be a film about the project on display um, that Aga's going to make. So that's going to be a traditional exhibition and it's going to be in July, um, which is really, really exciting. So we're kind of, we've been doing screen printing with them. So we've been taking them to this facility called Print Clan, which is an amazing facility in Glasgow and learning really great screen printing techniques. So we've been building these really beautiful collaborative uh, fabric works and we're going to install them in July so that will be our next exhibition that's open to the public. Sounds brilliant it's it, it's isn't it funny that we're now talking about traditional exhibitions <laughs> and I, I guess that's what makes your 16 Nicholson Street so, so exciting it's I think laboratory seems to be a word that you've both used and that that may be the best way to describe it at least at the moment what's going on there and I, I, I think you spoke uh, earlier on in the podcast, you said something about you've just done a charity auction. I don't think we said that that was for Ukrainian art. Was it a Ukrainian artists yeah. or just Ukraine in general? That, that was um, that was for an organization that's supporting uh, you, uh, refugees. Um, that's right. In, yeah. But they're based in Poland. They're based in my hometown in Wrocław. Uh, ah, called, I see. So they call Chess Press Chain. And I had uh, a lot of. Yeah friends and childhood friends and, and family members who volunteered for that organization. So I felt quite confident in supporting them. They just finding uh, shelter, food, all sorts of resources for um, Ukrainians who come, uh, Ukrainians and other people who come daily yeah. in hundreds. So um, I think the last that's interesting. Read, yeah, yeah so 8, you're kind 000. of, yeah. And so you're seeing that that's quite an interesting dimension, isn't it? Because you're seeing that as um, from your hometown in Poland and where you're experiencing these people coming in, um, mm -hmm. you know, as, as refugees. And I, we only hear about that on the news, but your, your friends and family are experiencing that at first, you know. Yeah, I think it's quite, uh, it's quite, in, I, was, I want to use the word impressive, but I don't want to like pat mm. my shoulder, put on the, myself mm. on the shoulder. It's just, I, it impressed me myself that Polish, Polish people have quite, like be, we're quite generous in in, yeah. in their in their help and they've opened their own homes and a lot of people have taken uh have taken uh, uh refugees into their own um houses and um, yeah. and this organization we're supporting um used to be an arts organization but it turned into turned to humanitarian aid strictly and they are supporting i think it was eight thousand people a day which mm -hmm. is uh, an incredible number and um um, yeah, so so it just felt like the right thing to do um, to set up an auction. We called it Artists for Ukraine, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we've collected a lot of donations. And uh, it was about over seventy over seventy artworks, and we've sold um, fifty over fifty, just over fifty. Fantastic. And the remaining ones, um, because we are not a gallery famous for um, quite like. Um, high-priced artwork sure. so all the remainder most of the remaining ones are the more expensive pieces and we're planning <laughs> to auction them online <laughs> yeah good idea uh, so this way we're trying to we should we're still trying to connect collect money for trestle pedestrian and the refugees mm -hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, that will, be on so, the, that will be on our Instagram over the weekend. So if, yeah, <laughs> if anybody's say, looking to buy some art, then yeah, and, yeah. Um, and we take I, no commission. <laughs> <laughs> I'll obviously, I'll obviously give the um, give some information about the the, the gallery website and and, and and that charity as well. And um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably, I think I'm already in negotiation with um, a former student of mine, Olina Grubb, who was the interpreter on the podcast I did with um, with Bodian, the, mm. the, the, the curator at the Museum of Modern Art in Lviv. Um, and I, I'm probably, we're, we're planning to do another, you know, kind of, I don't want to, I don't want everyone to, people will start forgetting this or it become, it become normalised if you're not careful. Uh, so we're, we're planning to do another one maybe with, um, I think there's a couple of auction houses that are going to kind of lead the, lead a panel uh, in the future. So watch out for that. Um, mm. And it's, it's all obviously in a good cause because um, these are all people who it doesn't, they can be artists, they can be anybody in Ukraine, but it's good to constantly listen to their voices and hear what's going on there, you know, so that we know the truth, yes. <laughs> really. Yes. Um, so yes. anyway, there's, it, it's been a really, really interesting conversation i think i think that it's you can probably tell from my tone um that this this is quite refreshing to me so that what what the reason i find it quite difficult to get my head around what you're doing is because i think you are so creative so and it's i think you're creating new kinds of model of working in the arts so um yeah i'm, I'm sure the listeners will be intrigued by this and, and i'd like to thank um Arga and nell for sharing uh, the ideas of sitsi nicholson street with us and do do have a look at their website and if you go to glasgow do do go over and um take a look it's in, it's it's in a lovely kind of um it's i don't know whether lovely is the word but it's a very very interesting historical space heritage space in glasgow that i'm sure is going to develop hopefully not get too gentrified <laughs> in the future <laughs> yeah. so thank you thank very you. much thank you, thank you so you much David. for having Thanks. us yeah no yeah. thank you that was great thank you for your time oh, bye likewise. Bye. Bye. <laughs>